Dotnet Rocks, episode 1043, with guest Steve Del Bianco. Recorded Thursday, September 25th, 2014. Hey, Richard. How you doing? I'm good, man. It's good to see you. Yeah, literally see me yep. this time, right? We're at Pop Studios in the booths. We have uh, two recording booths that have windows so that we can see each other. And uh, we don't usually get to record this way, so it's kind of a luxury. Yeah, it's very luxurious. It's fun, and the cues are fast, and we pick everything up quicker. You know, normally we're staring. I'm staring off into space when I'm recording. Right. I don't usually hold up my finger. You know, when you're on the phone or on Skype, and you know, as if to say, "I got something to I say." Something. Here. Yeah. You yeah. know, the funny part is, even when I am remote, I still do that. It's just yeah. you don't see it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> All right, well, I got something that you told me about here for oh. Better Know a Framework, so let's roll the crazy music. Roll that funky music. All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, this is um, a robot, a general robot that you can buy for about twenty-two grand, I wow. think. And uh, this is Baxter. Nice. So go to tinyurl.com slash Folding. And you told me about this because this is a uh, this is from Rethink Robotics, by the way. But this is a um, a general purpose robot that learns. Like you can teach it to do simple things, pick right. things up, move them around. And I, I couldn't find the uh, the video you were talking about where he actually made a gin and tonic. Yes, and cut the limes and squeezed them and all of that stuff and. And somebody just taught him how to do this. Somebody with no robotics experience, and that's the key. In this video, he's folding a shirt. And that, so. it's, it's very cool the way he does it. The, I think the most important part about Baxter, for, in my mind, is most industrial robots, and he does look like an industrial yeah. robot, are dangerous machines. Like, yeah. they put cages around them so people don't get killed by them. Right. This is not a dangerous machine. The big feature in Baxter is that it's very aware of what's around it. So if yeah. you get too close to it, it will never hit you. It'll yeah, it's, stop moving. it stops moving if somebody gets close to it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. So, you, yeah. Well, what really amazed me about this is that when he folds the shirt back, there's a little crease in it, mm -hmm. and he sees that and uh, f straightens it out. Yeah, that is astonishing. It is astonishing. And, and, and it's $22,000, you know, for that kind of basic work, you know. You could yeah. take a big pile of shirts. This thing would fold 24 hours a day, folding shirts for you. Mm. And that's uh, pretty compelling. It is compelling. And, so, and of course, so, you know, where my mind naturally goes is my wife, Kelly, wants me to make a robot that will bring her coffee in the morning. And I said, so what if there's one that you could just buy? She goes, nope, that's not good enough. You have to make it. <laughs> <laughs> so she won't be happy until I've built a robot you built that'll a robot. bring her a cup of coffee. So here's what I'm going to do. You ready? So you get a little Keurig maker. You fill it up the night before. You put it like with an alarm. Right. Yeah. Boom. There's your coffee. Made. Yep. Nice. You know, Baxter, I think, comes unassembled. So technically, you'd be making it. Oh, really? Yes. Now that's cool. <laughs> 
All right. Well, uh, go ahead and Google Bing Baxter. You'll find all sorts of videos on YouTube and everything else. Uh, and just a, great stuff. I think there's a geek out in there somewhere just talking about what general purpose robotics is really going to look like. Right. You know, it's the same transformation as what's happened to the PC that happened back in the late 70s. Yeah. Computers have been around for 20, 30 years at that point, but they're all specific purpose. Let's do it. Let's do a robot geek out show. Yeah, but We're due. General purpose robotics. Right? Yeah, I think I think we could start with industrial robots because sure. there's a lot of, you know, they're going to affect our lives as well. Yeah, well, they have. I mean, yeah. that's how cars are built these days. Yeah, and farming, let alone uh, other industries. Yep, a lot of automation there too. Yeah. All right, there you go. Know it, learn it, love it. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 948, the one we did with Mr. Zuck, Jonathan Zuck, when we talked about software patents. Oh, a while ago. Yeah, it's a while ago and uh, nah, less than a year. Uh, and, and Ron Widha actually had this comment right at the top where he said, hi guys, I think the broken part about the patent process is the fact that the duration in which the patent is valid for is far too long for the cadence of modern day innovation. Mm. One internet year is an eternity in our industry. Mm -hmm. If a patent is valid for a much shorter duration in theory, couldn't it still protect the innovators by giving them a head start, but also gives a chance for other people to implement the idea better at the end of the exclusivity period? Mm. And John actually had an answer to this question, but there's a lot of talking points here, I think. First off is, you know, the original innovator always has a first mover advantage. Yeah. If they built it first and continue to innovate on it, they will always stay ahead patent or no. Right. And patents aren't about stopping other people from building things per se. Mm -hmm. It's making sure that the original inventor gets compensated in some way. Right. And maybe that's licensing and, and so forth. There's a bunch of options there. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I don't know how important really the duration is in that all in all, just because you can see what someone's built, which and it, some deeper in the comment set of this particular show, there's a bunch of conversation about exactly that and quite a debate going on about the idea that one of the important parts about patents was that you were publishing the idea yeah. so that other people could copy it, but only if they compensated the original inventor in, a pro sure. in an appropriate way. And one of the problems with patents, especially software patents, is that the information in the patent is so vague, yeah. so confusing, mm. that there's no way you could make something from that. It doesn't seem to mean anything. There's a strong incentive to make these very broad-reaching, opaque kind of patents because they put lots of leverage for the trolls to then say, you've conflicted with my patent and I want money. Right, and right. you get into that sort of extortion game that patent trolling has become. Yeah, sure. But Ronald, uh, great thought about just how we actually try and use patents, what's important, what isn't. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Windows 8, Windows Phone 7 and 8, Android and iOS. And before we go any further, let me tell you that Pluralsight is home to the largest technology and creative training library on the planet. They have thousands of developer, IT, and creative courses authored by MVPs and industry experts. And they release dozens of new courses every month and offer a 10-day free trial, giving you 200 minutes. Pluralsight offers a wide range of topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack. So try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And that brings us to our guest. Steve DelBianco is executive director of NetChoice, a trade association of leading e-commerce platforms and online businesses. Steve has become a well-known expert on Internet governance, online consumer protection, and Internet taxation. 
He's provided expert testimony in 14 congressional hearings and in dozens of state legislative hearings. Steve regularly enters the lion's den at the Streamline Sales Tax Governing Board, where he's the lone opponent of new tax burdens on Internet commerce. Before NetChoice, Steve was a programmer and founder of Financial Dynamics, an IT consulting firm that he grew to over $20 million in revenues by 1997 when it was acquired by a national firm. Today, Steve continues to advise and invest in early-stage companies as a partner in venture capital funds. Steve holds degrees in engineering and, and economics from the University of Pennsylvania and an MBA from the Wharton School. Welcome, Steve. Hey, Carl, Richard, great to uh, be on the phone with you guys again. Great to have you here. We um, we had you here because we got an email from a friend of ours who was um, concerned about some the possibility of some new taxes on internet uh, uh, goods and services, and um, you know it has it, it comes up every once in a while that you hear about you know Congress talking about this stuff. But um, tell us the tell us the scoop. What's going on here? Yeah, the .NET Rocks listener audience probably includes a lot of the kinds of people that uh, that worked with me at my firm, Financial Dynamics, right? So software developers, service providers, distributors, hosting services, mm, systems sure. integrators, consultants, yep. custom coders, trainers, and some are in-house now, but maybe not forever. A lot of folks doing this for another company always have aspirations of taking their own product out to the public or starting their own firm, at which point they will have to confront this crazy dilemma of, is what I'm doing taxable? Yeah. And do I have to collect when I sell to customers on the other side of the country? So it's, it's, a, it's a question for everybody. And I'll throw another twist into this. I'm a Canadian, too. So we have another set of tax rules around different provinces and stuff where, you know, it depends on where you... But normally, correct me if I'm wrong, let's talk about general taxing here. If I, as a, per, as a company, don't have a presence in a given state or province, do I have to collect taxes for that state or province just because there's a customer there? In Canada, you don't have the same physical presence requirement as right. we do in the United States. In Canada, uh, the Canadian, the provincial, and uh, national sales tax regime requires you collect when you're shipping from Vancouver to someone in Quebec. Right. Whereas in the United States, uh, since the early 60s, uh, that our Supreme Court clarified that uh, you have to have a physical presence in a state for that state to have jurisdiction over you and thereby force you to collect and remit and file their taxes. So the regimes are different in Canada and the U.S., and when you're shipping things to the United States, things that are taxable, whether they be products or services, without a physical presence, you would not be required to collect and file. Are you starting with the premise here that taxes are bad? Um, I, I'll tell you what, I think tax laws are a disaster. <laughs> taxes, are how, taxes are how cities and counties and states fund the services we all rely upon. And, and so an appropriate tax system is one that collects it fairly, predictably, and then uses the money wisely and efficiently. We could go on all day about whether it's wise and efficient, but right. we'll just focus on what's fair, what's predictable, especially when things are likely to change. And I'll give you two dimensions of change. Um, one is the Im the infamous question of whether Congress is going to force new tax obligations on all of us. But let's defer that to the second part of our segment. The first is the question of, does your state and the states where your customers live, do they tax the services and software, the digital downloads, the hosting services, the consulting and training you're providing? Guys, you wouldn't believe what a patchwork of impossibly conflicting rules there are today. 
as the 46 states in the U.S. with sales tax have different and changing rules about taxability. Right. This is because the sales tax system, at least here in the United States, and I think to a good extent in Canada, the sales tax system was written at a time when the things we wanted to tax were tangible personal property. Right. Stuff you could hold, right? Goods you could walk out of a store with or ship to me from a catalog or phone order. Yeah. That's tangible personal property. So that was written into the sales tax code to create a distinction between that and intellectual property, like a license. Sales tax really worked when you had physical goods and you pretty much bought local, right? Because or, that's... or ship them, or ship them. Yeah, well, or ship them, but then sales tax, you can avoid that if you ship from somewhere else, though, right? If you ship to somewhere else. Not really. If Sears, no matter what Sears was shipping to anyone in the country, it was always sales taxable, and Sears collected the tax because they had a presence in every state. Right. The same is true of uh, Home Depot, of Lowe's, of uh, Walmart, and Target. They have presence everywhere, so So there's no distinction of whether you walked into a store or shipped it to you. So why don't I? Why do I have to only pay sales tax on some things I order online if uh, if the store is in Connecticut? You know, and I'm in Connecticut, and it's shipping to my right. Connecticut would love to force out of state businesses to file and pay the Connecticut sales tax. Yeah. But the Supreme Court ruling in the United States says Connecticut doesn't have jurisdiction over this business in Virginia. Because the Virginia does this doesn't have a physical presence. That is, in fact, what, what Congress is attempting to change. So you're saying it's different from state to state? No, it's not state to state. It's not. No, that's, that's the same. In the United States, Connecticut can only force sellers who have a physical presence in Connecticut to collect and file in Connecticut sales tax. Okay, so hang on. I'm, I'm confused. And it's me. Trust me. Um, so you say that you have to pay sales tax no matter where you're buying from. But then you at the same token, you just confirm that I don't have to pay sales tax if I'm buying something out lo- online that's from another state. Well, you just put yourself in the position of a purchaser, not the seller, didn't you? Yeah, I'm so purchasing. As a purchaser who lives in Connecticut, yeah. who lives in Connecticut, if, if you buy something from a Virginia catalog or online website and mm-hmm. that Virginia's that Virginia seller didn't have physical presence in Connecticut, right. well, then they have no idea what the Connecticut rules are, and they don't collect the tax. Right. But listen, you're still liable for use tax, and use tax is the flip side of sales tax. All right, okay. Every now, state with true. a sales tax says that it you owe use tax on things that you didn't pay a sales tax on. Right. And that's why they get you coming and going. Interesting. So I'm, I've never heard the term use tax before. Oh, what, yeah. What they... What is a use tax? This is the reason why I hired a bookkeeper because right. I couldn't. Fi- I was mm-hmm. I, my head exploded. Right. I couldn't figure out how to estimate use tax. Use tax is the flip side of the sales tax. The states added that when they realized that they could only impl- Im- they could only impose the tax obligations on people who were in their borders. Right. Yeah. So by saying to a customer, a Connecticut resident, that look, you've got to pay one way or the other. Either you get the seller to collect it and send it to Connecticut. Mm-hmm. That's called a sales tax. But in instances where you didn't do that, you still owe the state of Connecticut a use tax. It's the same rate on the same product. And the truth is, the residents, people like all of us who live in Connecticut, do not file reliably our use taxes. Very few individuals will pay their use tax, and therein lies the gripe on the part of so many state tax collectors. They're not getting the use tax from individuals. But here's here's the deal. Out of all e-commerce, nine out of every $10 of e-commerce is B2B, business to business, not B2C. 
And right. businesses pay their use tax nearly universally because, as you just indicated, they get audited easily. Yeah. And the auditor from Connecticut will say, wait a minute here, you're a business, you bought some printer cartridges, some paper, some supplies, show me how you paid sales tax on that. And if you didn't, you owe the state of Connecticut use tax plus so penalties and So my problem interest. was when I, you know, when I first got into my own business, and there's the reason why I hired a bookkeeper is because... Connecticut actually wanted you to estimate your use tax and not, there was no rate. And I just was like, how, what, how? (laughs) And then when things depreciate, you have to include that in it. So I was just like, how, and I asked a friend of mine who was a fellow businessman in Connecticut, how do you estimate this? And he's just like, he didn't say it, but he sort of indicated, he just makes something up. I mean, it was like, (laughs) what? I can't. Give me a schedule. Many states some, try to know. do a more careful job. They'll let you estimate your use tax as a portion of your um, adjusted gross income. Yeah. Others will ask you to list your purchases you made from out-of-state catalog, phone yeah. order, or internet. Yeah. And then write it all down. And if you drove I-95 through the state of Delaware, who doesn't have a sales tax, the stuff you bought, that sweater you bought at Delaware, the mall next to I-95, and then brought home to Connecticut, well, you know what? You owe use tax on that, too. Mm. Wow. Yep. You know, you have run in the same same thing in Canada. You buy something out of province, you're expected to say to to pay that sales tax. Yeah. All right. Sorry for derailing you, but I, that was a. I think it's an question. interesting clarification, and we're still only talking about physical goods, whether they're delivered via catalog or e-commerce. What about services? Are the tax rules different for those? Yeah, great question. So, tangible personal property was the origin of sales tax, but right. it quickly expanded. There are still four states today who impose their sales tax on not only goods, but also services, mm-hmm. all kinds of services, haircuts, a travel agent charging a fee, a programmer, um, a tech support geek who shows up at the house to fix your printer. Mm-hmm. All of those services are taxable in four states who then quickly enacted exemptions because they found it was very unpopular to tax people that give haircuts, right. travel agents. So it, it's not prevalent. It's, it's Vermont, South Dakota, and Hawaii for the most part in West Virginia, who tax services today. But it's changing now as more and more of the stuff we used to buy as products are turning into services. Let me give you a few examples. I used to buy products like a set of CDs of software. Right. That product would be shipped to me, and that software then was a product, a tangible personal property, and it was subject to sales tax. I used to buy a lot more books and movies than I do today because I download those items or I stream them from a service like Netflix. Yeah. So as more and more tangible personal property transitioned to electronic goods and services, the states have said, my goodness, we need to change our laws or decide to interpret our laws differently to capture more and more of what Americans are doing, what Canadians are doing, so that we can pick it up as taxable. Right. And, and the question is, is the tax base actually declining because of this change in the way we do transactions? I would say that uh, it hasn't declined because the people buying the stuff that's still tangible has continued to rise. Right. We're in a consumer economy. But in fact, uh, the states don't want to leave any money on the table. So they are moving quickly to do it. And uh, it's become a challenge because each state's tax administrator and legislature does things a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Their terms and definitions are all different. They treat services differently. And some states will favor an industry that is prominent, a champion industry in their state, and they'll decide to exempt that service from taxation right. while taxing all other kinds. And the sacred cow of taxing services is business. 
States have found that if they started to tax business-to-business services, like accounting, software development and consulting, and legal services, that the taxes would skyrocket, but the people they would be imposing the tax on have quite a bit of influence in state capitals. So for the most part, professional services are not subject to sales tax. Interesting. That, and that's why, because these folks have, have a fair bit of influence and fight back against these taxes. Indeed, and it, be, it reduces a state's competitiveness if it taxes the services when the state next door does not. Well, especially when you're talking about something like software development, where it could be done anywhere. You know, they, they, my physical yeah. location is almost irrelevant to delivering you custom software. Yeah, it can't be location-based. I, I would say that it's irrelevant where you are when you wrote the code. Right. But let's be clear, when the software is delivered, uh, does the, does the cl- customer accept a CD do they accept a download that they put on their computers and right. run? And the states are, are going after that as the delivery of what is the equivalent of tangible and personal And if you add property. continuous integration, continuous delivery, where we want to maybe give them an update every week, every month, now you're being the, – the proposal on the table is going to tax those as well? Individual deliveries? Everybody's, every, every state's different. I'll just give you one example. The state okay. of Wyoming. A great place to ski, but mm-hmm. not such a good place to do software development. Because in July, uh, the Department of Revenue, without the legislature acting, and this is one of my concerns, is that the legislature at least has to vote in public on whether it wants to have an iTunes tax. And but the Department of Revenue tax. is really a tax administrator that can do it on their own. And they say that if it's you're selling custom software, software as a service, um, separate training services or IT support, that stuff is not subject to Wyoming sales tax. However, Wyoming does impose sales tax when you sell pre-written computer software that you coded in Vancouver or Connecticut. Mm-hmm. If you do any computer repair or installation, or you have an annual license fee for the use of your software, well, then that is taxable. Doesn't it make more sense, Steve, for these to be federal taxes? It might be easier to administer, but the U.S. is a federation of states. And as such, uh, a national sales tax seems an awfully far-off option. It might be a bridge too far for states that value their ability to compete with each other on the taxes they charge, the services they provide, and what makes them each unique. So you might say it's better from the standpoint of a tax administrator or a person who has to collect tax. Also costs. I mean, it it would cost the country a lot less if it was done centrally. Do you think? Yeah, well, think about this for a minute. When I, when I decide to travel to Connecticut and, and buy something from uh, uh, one of my favorite stores there, they collect the Connecticut sales tax right there at the counter, and they remit it to Hartford. They don't ask me where I'm from. They don't ask for a driver's license to figure out whether that same fishing rod is taxable mm. where I live in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And they certainly don't collect the money and file it with Virginia. Mm. So the way we run sales tax, 70% of it today, is we run it all based on where the seller is, when the purchase is made, I guess you know I'm I'm talking about, and I agree that with you that the uh, the sales tax, the way sales tax is done is sort of antiquated. But I'm talking about internet transactions in general, you know, which is where I think most of our economy is going here. It, it seems to me if there's going to be an internet tax of any kind, it should be a federal tax because states and internet, they're irrelevant. States are irrelevant to the to to internet commerce, are they not? I, uh, I think you want to wind the clock back a little bit more, about 60 years, when catalogs became really popular. And people sure. ordered things from catalogs because they got far greater choices and often better prices than yeah. they did from their local stores. 
So that gave rise to the series of court rulings in the United States that said that catalogs are only obligated to collect and file sales taxes in states where the catalog or its affiliates have a physical presence. Right. So they were probably making your argument 60 years ago, saying catalogs and phone orders are going to make um, the states irrelevant. And, And that argument doesn't fly. The states will be relevant because, at least in the United States, our system is that the states compete on the basis of their tax systems, their economic development alternatives, the quality of life, mm-hmm. and other factors. Mm. So the Internet is no different, no different than a catalog. You do hit on a fun thing here, Carl, which is now you deal with an organization where their infrastructure is in the cloud yeah. and it's in Ireland. Yeah, it's right? not and, in the United States, right. maybe. I mean, they might be incorporated in a certain state, but w- that doesn't have any bearing on, on anybody's financial now now it's just for that for those services and i this is why i'm saying you know a separate a separate tax for those kinds of services seems seems appropriate and and the same for catalogs like i don't i don't understand why they're trying to make one sort of uh tax law that covers everything you know it's certainly different when you walk into a uh, a store in your local in your state and you know there's there's real estate there there's you know, capital, et cetera, that is state-based. No. You have a location. Well, I, you know what? I think it'd be it'd be fascinating to invite two of you geeks down to Washington and testify about the right way to do it with a federal tax. But the truth is, we've yeah. had a 15-year conversation that the states simply want Congress to give the states the power to reach across their borders. Right. No matter where the seller is based, and no matter whether they have physical presence or not, mm. and whether or not they're selling on a catalog, phone, or internet. They want to wipe all those distinctions away, and let every state tax collector reach anywhere in the country, hmm. grab someone by the neck, and shake them until the tax money falls into the state capital. That is anathema to so much of what we do in the United States, where we try to respect state borders and let states regulate people that are within their borders. I mean, that's, that was the whole point about this state model in the first place. But it now I, feels I like so. I could end up being taxed two or three or four times on a given transaction if they can reach across borders like that. Yeah, think about this. Uh, let's suppose that you downloaded a uh, an ebook before you left uh, your home in Connecticut on a trip you were making to California. So you got half. Uh, you made the purchase there in Connecticut, but the seller was well in Virginia, who collected the money from you. Um, you collected half the book downloaded before you left your home. You then went to an airport in Chicago, downloaded the second half of the book, but you never really opened the book until you landed on your flight in Vancouver. Well, yeah. which of those jurisdictions gets to tax the $24 you spent on that ebook? This is exactly my point. Right. You're making it. Yeah. Well, it's just, it there's also a separation sense. between delivering the service and collecting the money. And whose server it lived on. Right. So yeah. we have pushed very hard in Washington to get standardization of that definition. And we've been successful with a group of about 25 states on the streamlined sales tax side to say, let's standardize the definition of who gets to tax the transaction. And we're really focusing hard on where it was delivered. In the case of digital goods, we're focusing harder on, on where the seller booked the payment, where the payment came from. Yeah, it seems to me the money is what matters there. Where did the money so. land? versus the service itself, which is different. I mean, it used to, the only reason you need to think about this is that now it could be in two different locations. It used to be where you transacted the good is where you transacted the money. But wherever the money right. lands could be spoofed as well. I mean, you're 
Right. It's not where the money lands. It's where the billing address of the customer is. That's the, the standardization. Well, there you we're go. Because that's that's typically not scammable. I mean, you you live at your house or your apartment, and, and your, your your credit card wherever you're living. Yeah. I know where your credit card address is. Right. So, Suddenly, I have uh, an incentive. Case, right. So in this case, Carl um, bought it from his uh, Connecticut credit card billing address. Yeah. So no matter where the rest of that book arrived on his computer, and no matter where Carl opened it to read it. None mm-hmm. of that would matter. It would be the fact that he paid for it with a credit card, booked to a Connecticut address. Connecticut gets to decide whether it taxes the download of an ebook. Right. And that's a separate question entirely. Because as I said earlier, all 46 states have different rules, and they change over time about whether they're going to tax the download of an ebook. So I, I got to say, I have no problem with an internet sales tax in general. I really don't. Because I think, uh, you know, that this is the way. I actually think that we've been getting around paying sales tax for a long time. And in case you haven't noticed, we we have a deficit in this country. So, uh, you know, money has does have to come from somewhere. And I'm not opposed to it. But what I hear you saying is that I don't think you are either, but all these states have different laws that change over time. It makes it impossible to know when you are being taxed fairly and when you're not being taxed fairly. Nobody really has the bandwidth to to become an expert on that. I mean, certainly consumers aren't expected to be experts on the tax code. That's true. And it's probably not helpful to our audience to call it an internet tax. Because as everyone understands, when you buy something that you ordered over the internet and it gets shipped to you over the wire or with a UPS truck, that has nothing to do with whether it's taxable. Yeah. It only affects whether the seller is obligated to collect it for your state of Connecticut. Right. So there, there has never been an exemption there never has been, and probably never will be, an exemption for stuff you buy on the Internet. It's all taxed, the same as if you bought it with a telephone call or mailed in a catalog order. In all cases, whether something's taxable or not is a function of your state's laws about whether they're going to tax e-books the way they tax regular books. Are they going to tax uh, what you spend with Netflix every month, the same as if they would when you bought a movie theater ticket? And those are decisions the states reserve unto themselves, but they need Congress's help they want to extend their jurisdictional reach to sellers who have no physical presence. There's an ongoing debate about the rules, and there's probably no hope that we'll get all the states to standardize on what the rules are. And that creates a huge obligation on your listeners who are doing services, who are shipping CDs to people or are allowing clients to download things like apps or pre-written software or doing custom software and delivering it. In all those cases, every state will have different rules for each of those different ways that you earn your revenue, and those states will require you to file and pay sales tax depending on their rules. What Congress is considering now is something really different. I think you wanted to cover that in the next segment as to what's really on the table in front of Congress to change the way it works. Right. But before we do that, Richard, you know what time it is. Ah, it must be that happy time again. Yep. Time to download Steve's new product. Steal this ebook <laughs> and don't pay taxes on it. I'm sure there's somebody who actually did a steal this ebook thing, but that's that's brilliant. I love it. Little Abby Hoffman reference there. So it's actually time to give away a D Experience subscription from Dev Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who today's winner is. 
Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Keith Kelleher. Congratulations, Keith. Yeah. And Keith just won the D-Experience subscription from DevExpress. That's the big box of awesome from Developer Express. We do this all the time. If you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and we like to give away stuff on our show. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of stuff only a couple months away yeah technology to one lucky member which we pick completely at random and then we have to convince them we're not nigerian princes absolutely <laughs> yeah the, the shock of oh my god we are really are going to give you this stuff <laughs> i can't wait to do it again it's, yeah, it's, is, it's coming up man it's my favorite part of the whole show yeah well anyway we like to ask our guest steve if you had five thousand dollars to spend on technology right now today let's go shopping what would you buy Tax oh, free. Great question. Pre tax, of no, course. Yeah, taxes, <laughs> taxes or no taxes. Yeah, I've I've, got, I've really got my eye on uh, on the the new iPhones. Oh yeah, I, yeah. They're fantastic. I demoed one last night. I certainly wouldn't use up the whole five thousand. Yeah, yeah. On no, that. that's, so so I buy larger displays for all the computers I have around the house. Always a safe bet. Yeah, they make big life screens. so much easier. Sure do. And I think I would do my yeah exactly and and uh, and that makes a huge difference. Especially as I'm getting older, I'd also have to spend a lot of money on um, more ergonomically designed desks. Yeah, so that uh, sitting down for most of the day doesn't result in a bad back. Yeah, I'm ready to build myself a standing desk and a walking desk too, just because we spend so much of our time doing that. And I, I try and be diligent about getting up every hour. Apparently, that's the thing to do. But you know, software development—it gets you so focused. You next thing you know, it's the half the day. So uh, I'm going to start right. experimenting with standing desks now. Yeah, and that walking desk is going to set you back all 5000 So yeah. you won't have any money left for you the new You can spend iPhone. a lot of money on that That's stuff right. if you want. All right, should we talk about the Marketplace Fairness Act? Yeah, let's talk about what uh, what Congress is doing now that has everybody uh, a little nervous. Definitely so. I've worked on this for 12 years. I joined a group of states that realized the only way they could get the power for tax collectors to reach across their borders was if Congress gave them the power. Right. Because the Supreme Court was pretty clear that the Constitution respects a state's ability to govern what happens within its borders. This was done because 225 years ago, states were notorious. They were colonies back then, guys. But the colonies were notorious for erecting trade barriers and tariffs to favor their own businesses oh, yeah. over out-of-state businesses that crossed the border. It's been going on and, uh, for years. So they put into, yeah, Article One of our Constitution, what they call the Commerce Clause, and it says that only Congress can regulate interstate commerce. Nice. So it falls to Congress to decide whether it wants to give these taxing powers to the states. It also says the Constitution says Congress has the power to declare a war, but we sort of forgot about that one. No, true enough. Yeah, that's somebody another, else that's taking another that show. power off of Congress's lap. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, fortunately, the president hasn't asserted that he alone can make uh, can make new tax policy on interstate right. commerce. So that still falls to Congress. And yes. for uh, for for ten years in five different Congresses, there's been legislation that would grant the states these new taxing powers 
over interstate commerce, whether it was internet catalog, mail order, or whatever. And it hasn't moved very far until 2013. Then it sort of shook loose, and the democratically controlled Senate rammed it through without so much as a hearing. Wow. And that, when that landed in the, in the U.S. House of Representatives, it got a much colder reception and hasn't moved in the House. That brings us to the last couple of months of the year, which we call the lame duck, since Congress will only be back for a few weeks after the November election. Right. And there's great consternation that the, the Senate will force their Internet sales tax onto the House by attaching it to something that has to pass before they all go home at the end of the year. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's definitely focused the mind of those of us here in Washington because the bill the Senate passed in 2013 is fundamentally and fatally flawed. It doesn't require the states to standardize on the same definitions. It doesn't require them to standardize the rates. It doesn't require them to pay the costs for sellers to implement all the new systems they'll need to collect tax for 46 different states, wow. 9,600 jurisdictions, oh, and uh, 550 Indian tribes and foreign territories, Good all Lord. of whom could reach into Connecticut and tax everything that you sell. So you set this up so beautifully, Carl, because you were talking about just what Connecticut does to you right. from a tax perspective and how you needed a professional That's right. to manage it. Yep. And now you're going to multiply this by thousands, Th thousands, thousands yeah. worse. Am I overstating and, and, uh, the case there, Steve? No. Well, there are thousands of jurisdictions. Right. Every, every zip code in the United States has more than one jurisdiction. And many of the jurisdictions have temporary taxes. Uh, Louisiana might set up a mosquito abatement tax that lasts for several months on everything that's bought there. So it's very difficult to keep track of things like that and sales tax holidays. But in fact, there are 46 states that require you to do the filing at the state level. Right. So you'd have to keep track of 46 states over 10,000 different rates and rules. And the real challenge for the listeners to .NET Rocks is that sometimes that downloaded app is taxable, and sometimes it's not, right. depending upon whether that state considers a download of software to be the digital equivalent of tangible personal property. Right. And keep in mind that downloading an app really does put the bits and bytes on my iPad or my iPhone. Yeah. But what about... A browser, yeah, where all I'm website. downloading is the HTML code temporarily. It's in mm. memory as I execute a program, and then I close the browser. Yeah. If I'm being charged a service and you're delivering code to my face, wow, guess what? There are seven states that consider that the delivery of software. Oh, my God. Even, wow. if, it's just, yeah, <laughs> even if it's just browser code. Well, I have to pay tax on the free use of a website. Is what you're saying? No, it's not free. If you if you charge me a subscription, charge okay. the site, and I pay you. Set, remember, nobody can tax something that you don't charge All for. Right, right. Okay. Yet, yet, don't put a fast into event that later. <laughs> All right. I actually think I have a solution. About taxes on revenue derived activities. So, if you have a subscription service, I subscribe annually to the .NET Rocks newsletter at twenty five dollars a year. But you, but uh, I download the it's newsletter idea, into my Richard. browser to read it. That's going to be taxable in several states. Yeah. All right. So I have a solution. Tell me I'm crazy because I know I'm crazy. But what if the federal government, the federal government now, puts up a, a website, because you know they're really good at that, <laughs> that has a service that essentially calculates the tax based on the transaction that you're going to do. So you don't have to do that work. And maybe even goes so far as to keep track of it for you. And I know this is something that government wouldn't do, but you know that's a that that becomes a valuable service when you're dealing with lots of rules like this. And and my question is, if it's real, do I have to pay taxes to use that service? 
no, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. The states will pay. The states who get the money will pay vendors to maintain databases right. to yeah. say, is this particular item taxable in this given day if I sell it to this customer right. in this particular state? Yep. And the challenges are huge because if I'm shipping fence, they're going to love this one. If I'm shipping fence posts to a Virginia farmer, right. the fence posts are taxable if they use it to fence their lawn, but they're not taxable if they use it to fence a paddock or an area that holds animals. Uh, okay. So oh, wow. The, every, every use, every use, every entity, and every item has different tax rules. Right. But let me just suspend belief for a moment, and let's agree with your premise that vendors will be able to put together a beautiful database that's mm. free and easy to access. Oh, yeah. And let's pretend it exists <laughs> right now. Yeah. Here's the story. I make my living building software, and I think you and your listeners do too. Yes, they do. When I've written software for a company in Connecticut that ships... Uh, products around the country, that software is often highly customized, both for the ordering of the online site, for the telephone order interface, and for the fulfillment system in the back end mm-hmm. that ships the items or delivers them and fulfills the delivery of even e-products as somebody yeah, travels exactly around the country. All of that custom software has places in it where I'd have to write APIs to hook into this so-called free software database. Because I don't think for a minute you expect that you're going to have a clerk who turns from one machine to the free database, looks up the tax, and then hand keys it into the system. Yeah, of course not. I don't think so. Talk to me about the costs, guys, of software integration with a legacy system that's been custom-coded to make you have a competitive advantage, and then I hand you a free piece of software and say, plug it in. Can you imagine going to Amazon, and before you're allowed to check out, you have to check a box that says, what is your intended use for this product? <laughs> my, my reaction would be, F you. Yeah, none of your business. None of your business. Go away. What is this? But, but it would probably pop up and say, do you intend to use this fence posts to fence animals in the state of Virginia right. during the summer months? Right. Because if so, you answer yes, you won't pay a sales tax. I think there are ways you would answer that question. But the obligation on Amazon to change its systems and keep track of that. Yeah are huge new burdens on businesses. Yes. And it's the burden on business that ought to concern you as much as it concerns me. Because we, we've done software, and when somebody says it's free and easy, we can put a man on the moon, we can figure out what the tax is, hmm. I'll say, yes, you can figure out what the tax is. But then plugging that tax rate in yeah. to my ordering and fulfillment systems yep. is a major headache. Well, In yep, fact, sure software is. integration, testing... And I've got to write error handling routines to say that when I do a call to the API to the free federal database, what if it doesn't give me an answer at all? Am I going to suspend and trash the order? No, I'm going to try to keep the order alive. And I've got to write error handling code that changes over time as the interface to this free database progresses. So as I told a Senate Commerce Committee, I said, Senator, even if the software is free, the software is free like a puppy. Yep. Not <laughs> free like I've, not free like I've still beer. I've got to take that puppy home. I've got to care and feed it over its lifetime and make sure that it doesn't mess up everything else in my house. Yep. You your point is well well taken. Integration is what it's all about and uh if you have to write, you know, if this if that then this UI and that UI and take this, you're talking millions of dollars. Right. And the state claim they're going to collect billions of dollars. So we've suggested that Congress should say to the states, if you want these new powers and these new billions in taxes, you're going to have to cover the costs of systems integration nice. and coding. You're going to have to protect us from audits. The last thing I want is that that small software vendor in Connecticut to be subject to audits from 46 different states and 556 Indian tribes, any of whom can demand that you show up in their state capital with a lawyer 
and either pay the fees and fines and back taxes or, or state your case. Or prove that you don't, not, that you've already done it. That's not exactly, exactly, exactly. So there's a, there, there's a lot of concerns we have about how this is being done. And I've been working on it for 12 years, so we know, roughly speaking, where the problems are. It's a lot harder to know what the solutions are. But I can tell you this. What, what the Senate rushed through last year um, doesn't solve the problems and complexities for businesses like you. And it doesn't begin to approach the complexities that are needed for digital goods, downloadable software, online services, and subscription services. So again, I say, isn't this particular part of the sales tax code better served as a federal tax? for everybody. Um, I, I, can tell, I can tell that I'm talking to software developers and entrepreneurs, yeah. because your whole attitude is how to solve the problem. And I, and I <laughs> yeah. applaud you for that. I love that. And yet that's not, not that the I think I have in. the uh, answers. I have questions. Yeah. That's all. Right. What happens is that uh, when it, the only thing you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Yep. Well, and, and isn't and it isn't decided 10 years ago, they decided 10 years ago that the way their hammer was going to be giving their tax collectors brand new powers to reach across their borders. And they've been stuck on that hammer solution for 12 years. And that's what the Senate wants to jam onto the country right now. So we're doing our best to say, hang on, let's start a different conversation about what is the right way to solve this. And uh, that's where guys like you would be very helpful. And there really is two pieces here. There's the part about how much the tax is actually costing you have to pay on to the, pass on to the customer, but how difficult it is to get it right and deal with it, actually process it, is an even larger issue. Right. And I think most businesses are like me, that they don't necessarily think paying the tax is a bad thing. It's just don't make it a problem. Give me a number that I can tack on and send it to one place. Yeah, and let that one place take care of routing it to the state where the customers live. Exactly. I like where you're going with that. It was a solution that I we testified in uh, April of this year at a hearing in House Judiciary, where the c- committee here in Congress led by uh, Congressman Bob Goodlatte of Virginia, said, wait a minute, I, I don't think I like this solution the Senate passed over, so let's ask for alternatives. And he held an entire hearing, several hours long, on what are the alternatives that would work. Right. And uh, my group, NetChoice, we presented an alternative that said that everybody should file based on where they're based and let the state decide how to allocate the money to where the customers live. In that respect, it'd be just like that store. If I went down the street to a corner store in Connecticut and and bought some items, they don't ask where you live. They collect based on Connecticut's rates and rules. And that, I believe, should be the same thing we do with internet sellers. Let you collect by where the seller is based and let the state take that money and allocate it where the customers live. Keep it That keeps it really, really simple. It also creates a little bit of parity because uh, the corner store, the camera store, that uh, clothing store is complaining all the time that sometimes customers will come in and try stuff on or test out a piece of equipment and then buy it online. Right. Now, more often than not, they're doing that to save money on lower prices, better selection. But sometimes, some customers do it to save sales tax, right. even after paying the shipping. And that infuriates businesses that are having a hell of a time competing with the likes of Walmart, Target, and Amazon. And they've directed their ire at the Internet. So there's a, there's a great myth that says that the way to save Main Street is to tax the Dickens out of the internet. Right. And, yeah. the, and the concern right now in October of 2014 is you've got this lame duck Congress that this might actually pass almost by accident and, and make a heck of a mess. It's, it's very likely. It's very likely to, to pass. 
and uh, I'm doing my best, along with a lot of other allies, in, including folks like eBay, to to ensure that uh, we take an awfully hard look at this, and we're encouraging the the House of Representatives here in Washington to say let's let's solve this in the next Congress. Richard, you just passed me a link to uh, an interesting website that we might want to bring up here. Sure, this is WeAreHereCoalition.org, and the R is literally the letter R. I don't know if you're aware of this, Steve, or not. This looks like a site to fight against the Marketplace Fairness Act. It is, and uh, you'll see me quoted on there quite frequently. Nice. We Are Here is a great coalition. doesn't cost anything to join. You know, I'd encourage your listeners to look at the We Are Here Coalition. I'm Another is the right E-Main Street. The E-Main Street Coalition is a fantastic group of middle-sized e-commerce vendors and uh, they, too, have been to Washington many times to express the concerns about the costs and burdens of software integration, even if the lookup is free. Yeah, it's, this is not about the cost of the lookup. This is the cost about managing this insanity. And, and, the, and the whole, I, the, the, if the audits don't chill you, you just haven't been audited before. <laughs> Good point. And look, there are going to be folks listening who are selling maybe one product. Yep. And there's no customization of the product. And they're using an off-the-shelf QuickBooks checkout product. For, pro- for, for that kind of a vendor, you're probably going to find that there is free software that does make it easy. I don't deny that. It's going to work fine if you have a limited range of products and no customization of the product and no custom delivery, no back orders, no substitute orders, no partial shipments. And that will probably be easy to do. But the vast majority of e-commerce is much more complex than that. Orders are bundled together with other items, some of which have different taxability. Orders are changed somewhere in the process of fulfillment. And many times the customization involves some services that are bundled in with the product. Well, I just, the whole idea that states can reach across lines, I, I mean, I got to think the Supreme Court would knock this down in a big hurry. They've made their position very clear on what states can and can't do. I can't imagine that that's ultimately ever going to change. Well, think about this. What the Supreme Court said is states can't reach across their borders, and the Constitution says only Congress can manage what happens across borders. Right. So Congress can, with with the stroke of a pen, Congress can give the states the power they seek, and the Supreme Court has already acknowledged this much. Right. So this this could happen, and the, and the, the U.S. Supreme Court is unlikely to overturn it on grounds of the Commerce Clause. Right. If Congress wants it, that means, quote, the people want it. Therefore, it's reasonable law. Right. And think about Main Street vendors. Those guys who run stores on uh, street corners are having a very tough time, as I said earlier, competing with Walmart, Target, Amazon, and others. And they're telling their representatives in Congress that the way to save Main Street is to enact this law. Right. I think it will create a disaster because I don't know a store on Main Street who doesn't also have a website. Right. Or who doesn't sell across state borders, too. They're going to get audited as well. Exactly. If, if the future is finding customers around the world for your specialty products, then the future really is e-commerce. And why would we saddle the one way that a small specialty vendor in Connecticut who sells fishing gear, how else could they possibly survive if they can't find customers all over the country? The answer, the answer to this is not stopping Walmart from selling a cheaper fishing rod. The answer is to give them an ability to reach customers around the country without adding incredibly significant burdens on tax compliance. So you mentioned a couple of times 
you need you need Richard and I. Well, not Richard; he's Canadian. But you need me to come down to Washington and talk <laughs> to these people. I'll go. You're just not going to listen to <laughs> yeah. me. So, uh, is that is that? Are you serious? Like, is that something that um, our listeners can do? And if so, is there a place where we do we just go, or do is there a place that uh, with people you know maybe act online or something that could help us get an audience? What do we do? Net Choice is my group, and and we can help. But we are here. The group you mentioned earlier would be a great place for a for a listener to start. Yeah, the we are here group, and uh, you'll find that I, I I think we'll end up asking you to call your congressman right in the lame duck session. And again, this is the we are letter R here coalition dot org. And how how much time do we have? Uh, with the lame duck will begin after election day, so middle of November, and they'll come back again the first week of December. We really only have to survive the lame duck in order for the next Congress to take a new look at this. And I do think the next Congress will follow the House of Representatives' lead and take a look at alternatives to this marketplace fairness. So you're basically saying we have a month to... to... We, we, we've got to survive until, until mid-December. Yeah. And it sounds very ASOPA-ish, very net neutrality-ish. Yeah. Like, this is bomb here that might have a chance of passing for the first time ever. Because it sounds like, like you said, you've been working on it for 12 years. This debate's gone a long time and not made it this far before. And, and again, you, you, you might think differently than me. I'm, I'm not your, your typical don't tax me person. You know, I believe that taxes serve a real purpose. And I just don't, I don't want to have the burden that you're describing here of having to be you know, to watch myself for, for all of these entities and uh, have all these rules that I have to implement because that costs a lot of money. Give me a number. Give me a place where I can send one check, and and that's it. That's all I want. I, I really like where you're going on that. Yeah. And I don't think there's been any point in this program where we questioned the state's ability to collect the taxes it needs to provide the schools and police and parks. It's yeah. not about the taxes. It's about the burdens the yeah. legal obligations to collect. Right. You know, I've, that I've, turns out to be much more expensive than the tax itself. I've worked in large... No, I, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that because uh, the software integration costs are what they are, but they're rarely going to add up to be as much as the taxes themselves. Well, that's the possibility there. That's true. I mean, yeah. that's What it ends up doing is really false. hurting a lot of the small sellers. It's that medium, small to medium, that 10 to $20 million a year e-commerce uh, store that store in Connecticut that mm. uh, sells special fishing equipment and right. is trying to reach customers around the country. Right. They're the ones who are least able to afford the integration costs, and they're likely to be the ones who have done the best job customizing their order system hmm. and their fulfillment system, right. so that the right accessories get shipped with that rod. It goes in the right kind of a carrying case, the right kind of insurance. So all of that is custom coded, and that's the kind of a e-commerce seller, that that kind of an entrepreneur who is least able to afford expensive integration. And then they're going to get it wrong. Yeah. And then they're going to get audited. And then they're going to owe a bunch of money. Because mm. audits only plus go penalties, one way. Plus interest. That's, that's right. right. Yes. And, and, and penalties. And, and you're going to need a lawyer and an accountant to stand for you in the audit. And suddenly every cu- every customer you get in another state represents a liability, not a sale. In fact, you don't have to wait to get a customer. Under this federal bill, any state or Indian tribe could demand that you show the taxes you've remitted on all sales you made to the state. Right. The state's not obliged to prove that you've made sales there. 
But you need to answer that letter. But she seems crazy. You need to answer that audit. So at this place, we are here, coalition.org, uh, you can tweet your state U.S. representative. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, join the coalition. There's no cost. They're very, they're very careful about the privacy of the names that come in. And uh, I, I think they're, they're an excellent place to mobilize. It's a great thing. If they're, it, right. And if folks want to learn more about uh, the issue itself and the testimony we've given, and even the solution that we proposed from NetChoice, that's at netchoice.org. Steve, it's been great talking to you. I've uh, really enjoyed how creative you guys are about solving the problem. You truly uphold the geek ethic of figuring out a way. And uh, I hope we can survive the lame duck and get you in here in Washington to help us find a way to really solve it. Sign me up. While I'm down there, let's go to Georgia Browns and have some sweet potato pie. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a dog.